As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is pretty much pop and culture podcast trolling disparate entertainment waters for insight, factoids, and solidarity. I'm Mark Lintonmeyer, whose recent need for reading glasses has not at all impaired my navel gazing. I'm Erica Spires, and I have zero things that are interesting to say about myself today, except that I'm coming to you from the inside of my closet. And I'm Brian Hurt. And today I've got some hot takes, some deep insights, and some dark confessions. Let's do it. Why, oh, this is the end of season one. What? That's weird. It's been two years. Why is that a season? Can it be two seasons? Is it not two seasons? I think in the podcasting world, a season is whatever you say it is. <laughs> nice. I'm still resistant to the idea. Apple offers me the option to say from after this episode, it is season two, episode one. Like it's a fresh start. I'm not at the point where I can accept that yet. You'll, folks will have to just wait until next episode and see what it is numbered because I just, I like the numbers that go up, the numbers that start over. I don't know about that. That sounds too much trouble. Yeah, just keep it going. Who cares? Why does it have to be in seasons? What has Apple ever done for you that you need to do this for them? Aside from making podcasting a reality on this earth and giving me my livelihood, essentially. All right. But yes, this is a stopping point. And why is this a stopping point? Well, it's because you guys. So you explain yourselves. <laughs> you explain yourselves. Go on, Brian. Boy, this got combative early. So we entered a, a, a boxing ring with our gloves on and just started swinging at each other. And Mark was the last one standing. So he gets to continue on a full-time basis with pretty much pop. Erica and I were bloodied and we are not invited back every week. We can every now and then join the podcast when, when Mark thinks we're, we're worthy of joining him. But in reality, this has been a great two years of, of working on this, but it's something that Erica and I, each for her own reasons, don't have quite as much time to commit to it in, this, in the way that Mark does. And so while he is going to be continuing on a full-time basis with this, we are going to be more, I think, like guest hosts coming back periodically, perhaps irregularly, and talking generally about things that are most in our wheelhouse as opposed to talking about everything, some of which I hope we've been able to talk about intelligently. I know some of those topics that I have known a little less about, I've been able to talk about a little less intelligently, hopefully in an entertaining way, if not an intelligent way. <laughs> Am I characterizing this about right, Erica? Beautifully stated, Brian. Beautifully. This is why you always do the uh, the reviews of all of, you know, the breakdowns. What am I trying to say? The 
the what the hell was this TV show about? Exactly. For those of those for those listeners who haven't watched it, that's why you you've been our synopsis guy because you have a way of putting things together that just makes sense and it sounds lovely and that's it's true. We've really enjoyed doing this and there are so many other topics to explore and Brian and I are both working on our own endeavors that are somewhat related to the pop world, but not necessarily in the podcasting world, but we've had a great time and we're definitely going to come back and still talk to you about the things that we are most passionate about. And to that point, I've uh, already on the schedule to come back to talk in August about Sir Gawain and the Green Knight with the new Green Knight movie that's coming out, having studied a fair amount of this in my linguistics days and having watched a lot of Arthurian things. So super excited. Nerd. I, oh my gosh. In preparation for that, everyone, Sword of the Valiant, that movie is terrible and I totally recommend it. Sean Connery, oh my gosh, that movie is so bad. It's so good. Listeners, go find it and go watch it. I think Pluto TV has it. Go ahead, Mark. So my one correction is you said I'm staying full-time. Well, full-time is officially an every other week podcast. There are a bunch of ad space already sold, so I might change that here and there to accommodate commitments that have already been made. But at least the plan is at the end of the summer to go to a strictly every other week kind of thing, which will make it easier for me to be excited about every topic. But I also, I like the feeling like our recent Captain America one of just like, I know about it a month in advance and I'm going to make reading a bunch of comics or whatever the thing is a part of my life for that period rather than oh, we're trying to do this every week. We need something to fill in a gap. And, oh, we happen to all be watching this TV show. Let's quickly research it. I don't know if I'll be doing so much of that. So it might lean a a little heavier in the non-TV areas. Yes, more specialized episodes. (laughs) Perhaps. And I'm exploring several things, which I'll get into in the after talk, but there's no... uh, Yes, and in fact, I have things I'll be pitching to you guys (laughs) on a regular basis rather than merely assuming that you will go along with whatever I come up with. But at least my idea is to have a rotating panel, but hopefully only have one new person each time. So we have a big pool of guests that we've already had on here, and hopefully most of them had a good time. (laughs) And the ones that we especially like, if they seem like they're capable of filling one of your roles in that particular discussion, then that is plan A. Do you mean the super smart, awesome lady role or the super intelligent, slightly cynical Brian role? Oh, I thought you were describing yourself again. And I was thinking, man, (laughs) Erica's self-view really came out in this episode. Holy cow. I am worried about retaining a strong female presence because we have had on the whole probably more men than women as guests and... A lot of the women are your friends. I don't know if they would want to talk to me without you or if, if that's even, you know. So there are many issues to be worked out and uh, networks still to be expanded. I've been piloting. I have at least four different irons in the fire, a couple things on the calendar already right now. So we'll see how much of a pain in the ass that, yeah, that that's it great. will be going forward, whether I actually want to have to compose a panel from scratch every two weeks. That might just end up being too much. It's it's already. But we should actually get to the topic. Rather than talk about the future, let's talk about the past. Just for clarification, are we airing our beefs or our dirty laundry? I just wanted to clarify which that is. I hope the beef has dirtied your laundry. I have a question for Erica. Did you listen to every episode of this podcast as we were going? No. 
No, some episodes, some episodes, but no, no, I, I didn't. And that's generally if you're a part of it, right? Like you've already experienced it. So I'm usually trying to consume new things rather than I'm not a person who even like there are very few books that I've gone back to and reread. I think I'm a sucker for new things. But I know you listen to a fair amount. A fair amount. But often if it was a conversation I didn't enjoy as much, that might be a podcast I wouldn't go back and listen to. But sometimes I would because I wanted to see how it came out. I'm looking forward to listening to all of them now. And, you know, part of the problem was if we had just done it and the conversation was too fresh in my mind, I wouldn't enjoy it just because there wouldn't be a lot of novelty. So I tended to listen to stuff at least a month after we had done it. And I had forgot the funny things that I had said or that others had said and would laugh. I also don't like really like listening to myself. I'm, I'm too judgmental. I have too much of that director brain of, oh, you should have said this. Or why do you talk so much? Or why do you not talk enough? Or I tend to just feel like I do better if I just move on. Not too much self-reflection. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is not looking backwards, Mark. But I, that was one last bit of looking forwards. As I am very much looking forward to listening to some episodes that I wasn't a part of. There was one I had to bow out of because I had a medical issue and it was really enjoyable hearing what you guys did without me that time. So, okay, let's look back. And I think the first question we had is, which guest did you like the least (laughs) and why? That was not a question. (laughs) (laughs) No, all right. Technically, I, th- I think this was pitched by Mark as what did we learn in season one? Did you still want to frame this discussion that way? Yes, but let me preface that by when I was kind of laying down the basic questions that I thought this podcast was supposed to answer, and I was trying to figure out how to summarize what we learned, I found I was still making up new stuff, <laughs> which means I didn't learn it through actually doing it. So, what do you mean? This is supposed to tell us a little about how and why we ingest media. And so we talked about a lot of specifics, how and why we ingest particular kinds of media. But in terms of the overall questions, like, I don't know if I have better answers now than two years ago when I started this, that it is perhaps I'm as willing to just say, I binge out of depression, need for distraction, something to fill my buzzing brain at all times. And so... (laughs) Things coming from all directions in all the senses are always good for that. That is still basically the answer, but that's not a particularly interesting or universal answer. And, you know, says nothing about the effect of the type and quality of media on how well it serves this purpose. It's almost like, why do we eat? Well, because we're human beings and get hungry. Like, okay, well, I knew that I didn't need to do a two year podcast to figure that out. So why did you need to do it to your podcast? (laughs) And are you telling me now that we had a mission statement and I didn't know about it? Well, I think we debated for a while because I wanted to record an episode zero, which may still happen someday of what this is. But I did not feel like at least maybe now that I'm the one in charge solely, then I can just do a mission statement myself. And that actually probably won't be that hard. Okay, I'm going to commit right now and I'll edit it out if I don't do it. That I will come up with something that succinctly states what the point is. Whenever we've tried to articulate this to each other, I don't think we necessarily all agree, and I don't think we should have had to agree. I don't think that if my saying for you to participate in this, you have to sign on for the exact type of curiosity that I had coming into it. You had your own reasons, so I was interested in using this time to mostly explore what you guys thought was the point and what came out of this that actually answered those questions you came in with. Talking about pop culture is 
a pastime for, I think, most people. And definitely being friends with a lot of liberal actor types, I certainly have an amount of friends who just don't have televisions and don't really consume. But I would say for most people, there's plenty of stuff to talk about when it comes to pop culture. And maybe it's the majority of actually what human interaction is. So is that important? Absolutely. What it gives each person is a little something different. We've talked about certain fandoms throughout our time and how whether it's nostalgia or a sense of belonging, that those topics are important to them. For other people, it's finding new things and just trying a new series or trying to get into comics because the Marvel Universe has opened that up to our... The Marvel Cinematic Universe has opened up the world of comics to us. And I'm just not just talking about the three of us, but anybody. So we all have different reasons that we do it. But I would say, who knows the percentage? You guys can throw out a thought if you like, but I would say the majority of what humans talk about is pop culture. And we've delved into the various ways that people consume it so that we can examine that. And I I certainly have learned a lot and it has gotten me out of my comfort zone. It has forced me to read and think about things that I wouldn't have otherwise. And I do feel like I have an overall better understanding of several different forms of pop culture that I wouldn't have otherwise. So yeah, when it comes to just like talking to people, whether it's friends or a new acquaintance, I have a lot more to draw from now. And to me, that is important. Just the engagement with other humans, the water cooler effect. Erica, do you think you're going to consume pop culture, continue to consume it differently, knowing that you are not going to be talking about it every week or you are not possibly going to be pitching something as, well, I just watched this and I've been maybe taking notes in my head about what I would say about it because this might be something that would be good for us to talk about. Not with everything, but yeah, I do think it will have a change. And I have a friend who's fond of saying that each role that we do in theater does change us. And we don't usually recognize how it's doing it at the time. It's only years later that we can look back and see how it influenced us. So yeah, I think absolutely for all of us doing a two-year podcast together, consuming things together collectively, it's somewhat like going to a movie theater and watching the same thing with people, not necessarily interacting with those people during it, but having a shared experience. So yeah, I I think it, it, it will affect me from here on out. Mark, I would like to get back to some of those things that you had laid out as your goals or your ill formed goals, perhaps. Because I do think that we interrogated some of those, and occasionally very directly. We did an episode on binge-watching early on. We did an episode on the going-to-the-movies experience, and what is it going to mean to consume movies that way again, with the pandemic maybe coming to an end. And I thought it was valuable for us to do those sites of discussions. I don't think we could have done those every week, and I'm glad we didn't try. A lot of the time, I feel like what we were doing was attacking the question of pop and pop culture. Why are some things popular? Are things popular or aren't they? And if something seems really unappealing to any one of us, what is the appeal for other people? And is it just, is it unappealing because we haven't heard of it or we really object to it for some reason? And having a chance to talk with someone who knows more than we do really gave me an opportunity to to try something or give something a second chance that I maybe only watch the first half of 
or opened the book but never got past the third page or whatever it was. I really think that that was often when our show was at its most interesting. I feel like sometimes we were just reviewing media, and as fun as that was, I don't think we were really all that qualified to be doing it, and that's okay. And uh, But even those were often entertaining discussions, but I, I could see someone listening to an episode like that saying, well, what exactly do these three or these three plus their guests know about whatever it is that they're talking about? Well, we put enough work into watch enough things and learn the context of those things and hopefully say something interesting or entertaining. And if, if that was enough to sustain some episodes, that's great. And I hope that continues to be something that this podcast does because when it works, it works really well. And maybe Cobra Kai didn't lead to new understandings of pop culture, but it was sure a fun conversation. One of my favorite recent podcasts that we did as a group. So I think we did cover some new ground in the hundred episodes that we spent going through a lot of these topics, though not in every episode. I'm looking at you episode number. We clearly have a worst episode, but I won't say what it is. Number 59 and a half. 59 and a half. That would be the PMP After Talk Clip Show 2020. Just to pick on that. I've, I've enjoyed the after talks often just as much as, you know, sometimes even more so than the, the actual discussions when we're freeforming, especially when there's a topic as opposed to just merely spinning on what are we going to cover next or what are you watching? Let's name drop some things that not everybody has seen or whatever. One of the things that was valuable about doing this, right, of course, I just set this up in just describing this as if it were a failed project, but it really was a matter of changing my expectations of what the project should be, that it is not a psychology podcast. I invited Dr. Drew on right away to like talk about media addiction or just watching things out of despair, this kind of thing that I was just referring to. And he's just like, well, I don't know that much about that. I don't, I don't know if that's a good topic. And there is always progress to be made. And I'm always curious to learn things about the psychology and the sociology. And I'm happy to invite psychologists and sociologists on to tell us about that stuff. But it is more getting at things from the inside like you were saying, of what is the appeal of this thing that maybe I don't participate in, or even when I do participate in, I'm not really sure why. And so talking to a consistent group of people, talking to you two about these things and having us consider these topics as a group and what's worth covering in the group decision-making process, which often would happen during the after-talks and the group exposure process that so that, you know, I think there was a value even if one of us was just brand new to something in having that, the voice of the common man, <laughs> you know, whatever, having those consistent perspectives all kind of reacting to the same thing, the panel. And I think that is a, a lot of the appeal of the show. And so I don't know if that will even <laughs> be there, but we've also had a bunch of episodes, you know, with an academic who's written something interesting, or there are a million entertainment writers that we regularly draw on their articles for our ideas and are often just parroting or discussing, you know, laying on the table as some of the primary matter here, some of these interesting things that these people have spit out there into the world. So I'm, you know, to replace that solidarity, I'm just going to try to get more of those people who, you know, we have drawn on their work, just like Noah Berlatsky, we had drawn on his work repeatedly. And so finally, I was like, well, let's get him on to talk about criticism. But a guy like that can come on and talk about a particular new movie or whatever, you know, there are lots of new and interesting perspectives to get a hold of. And so 
curiosity about these things and being able to widen. Like when we had our Dave Revson on sports, somebody who, even though I knew him personally when we were much younger, just has this whole different set of things that he's fanatical about. And trying to get a hold of some of those passions of other people is definitely an important part of this. Well, that last part, Mark, really, I think points to one of the the challenges that I found, but maybe you didn't find it challenging at all, was really defining the boundaries of what is and isn't pop culture. Because I feel like some things clearly are, and some things kind of are, and some things are a bit of a stretch. And you mentioned sports, and that clearly is pop culture, though maybe not the sort of thing that they would talk about, um, like the culture gab fest, but we also talked about conspiracy theories and local news and pet culture. And I think you can kind of start getting farther and farther away of what's obviously pop culture. And at a certain point, if you can talk about anything, well, then what are we even talking about here? Is this a difference between pop culture and fandom then you think, Bri? Well, I'm not sure that that distinction is tracking for me only because I think when there's fandom, it very almost always is some pop culture element to it. I think there are things that don't have fandoms that we also did talk about. We had discussions that just didn't feel like pop culture to me, but it was fine. And well, we had them and that's whatever. But I, I didn't quite understand the boundaries we were defining all the time. Maybe in year three, it's going to just maybe I was the problem and it'll become crystal clear. As Mark figures out, this is what we're doing. Well, see, I took Erica's comment that most of what we talk about is pop culture as an affirmation of my reductionist theory about pop culture, which I'm always happy to yield in particular circumstances. So on the local news one, Dion, who is a serious news guy, wanted to make the obvious distinction between news and entertainment. But what we call news is still very much pop culture especially when it actually doesn't affect you in any immediate way, right? All this, the Trump presidency should have taught us that show business and politics are so intertwined. And the main difference just seems to be the seriousness, whether there's life or death in somebody making being a fool on TMZ is very different than someone being a fool who's in charge of the army. But as far as we spectators go, 90% of the time, they're sort of the same thing. And, and sort of what we choose to fill our lives, to distract ourselves from our eventual death. It was that episode that we got into memes, right? We talked about a bit about like news memes. And that's absolutely popular culture. So I don't think that we explored news just to explore news. So I would take issue with what you're saying there, Brian, because I think that we found angles that show the popular culture of those topics that maybe wouldn't normally seem pop culture-y. That's a fair point. And I think we worked to do that. But sometimes it did feel like we were working awfully hard to do that. And maybe the show was better for it. And I'm not really complaining about it. But at a certain point, if you just say, well, pop culture is anything that we consume to entertain or distract ourselves well, that's an awfully big bucket of things. So it's apparently a box of Triscuits and some Cracker Barrel cheese as pop culture now. Why so, didn't we do a Triscuits episode? I that's don't know. Absolutely. It is so weird. Ugh. I know. We're back in for season three now. We could not put up this podcast without sponsors. And so today I want to tell you about Upstart. If you're carrying a credit balance month after month, it can feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of debt. Upstart can help you make that final payment so you can get ahead. 
Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment. Upstart knows you're more than just your credit score, and it's expanding access to affordable credit. Unlike other lenders, Upstart considers your income and current employment to find you a smarter rate for your loan. My family carried credit card debt around for years. It's very easy to think you're never actually going to get out of that. And a debt consolidation with a lower interest rate than your credit card is charging you is a very, very smart first step. You should definitely research all the options available to you. I'm just asking you, make Upstart one of those things you research. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 to $50,000, and you can receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payment today when you go to upstart.com slash pretty. That's upstart.com slash pretty. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash pretty. We're talking about such global things that I feel like I should barely... But one of the things that really entertains me about this, this other podcast I listen to, My Brother, My Brother and Me, is a section called Munch Squad, where he just reads, one of the guys just reads press releases from quick serve restaurants and how bizarre they are and how, you know, it really just sort of hits home this, I think there's something about the commercial relationship. I guess this is at least a question to explore. Part of what distinguishes pop culture, or at least an element that we cannot ignore in it, is our relationship to people that are trying to take our money for being distracted. We have hobbies. We had stuff like we did a photography episode. But then a lot of what makes pop culture seem dirty, what makes it seem less impactful on our, our intellects is that things have been packaged up and served to us in ways that paint a picture of who those people that run the markets think we are. I'm not always happy with that. So I guess the whole idea of Entertainment as mimesis, right? We talked a lot about representation and storytelling and what makes for effective storytelling. And I want to tie that to the capitalist project of what the images that float around that is not even just of some sinister elite have of us, but what we consequently have of each other and of ourselves, that we are co-consumers of what often seems to have a foundation of absolute dreck. And these are the great questions, Mark. I mean, this is really more into sociology than we tended to go, I think. And those are good ones to ask. I think they're a little harder to spitball answers to because I think they demand a bit of actual research or reading, if not truly research, to get some understanding of what's been said. And, you know, I can watch a TV show and have an opinion and base that opinion on what little I know of it and what other things I've watched. But to answer what you're talking about requires a bit of work. And maybe that's something that you know other podcasts have, as we've talked about, they have interns and researchers and staffs, and they do that. And we just sort of do our thing and shoot from the hip quite a bit. I would love to see this podcast do more of that and tackle some of those questions, but do it in a way that is at least a little bit responsible. One of my favorite episodes was Philosophy of Photography with Amir Zaki. And that one was something I didn't find to be very pop culture oriented at all. But it was one of my most enjoyable podcasts to talk to this person who just has such a unique view on the world. So maybe as a PMP episode, it wasn't very successful. But as a personal experience, 
I feel like I got a lot out of that conversation. And I still follow Amir on Instagram. I love so many of his photographs. I love the way that he sees the world. Maybe that's more of a high art type of thing rather than a pop culture thing. So yeah, maybe that's a failure of the podcast, but boy, wasn't it a nice failure. I bet Brian can predict what my answer to that (laughs) is going to be. Why would I argue that a high art episode actually is still a pop culture episode? Have you learned my uh, language well enough, Brian, to give the Mark answer to that? I probably can, but I'm going to let you give it anyway. Just that I am against the pretension of folks that distinguish high art from pop culture. And the fact that something is only a passion for a smaller group of people and maybe requires some skill and maybe requires some discernment, well, that doesn't actually distinguish photography very well from being really into Game of Thrones. I mean, you might think it's not as creative to just be into somebody else's work, but if you get, I hope that there is a very fine line between just being a fan of things and being creative about things. And some of that is a matter of the kind of art that we venerate, you know, that people say everybody who heard uh, the Velvet Underground's first album or whatever went off and started their own band. So I think photography is inspiring in a similar way that no, you're not necessarily going to yourself be able to imitate these great masters with their many years of work, but it's something that's so easy and is so much a part of our, many people's just daily experiences because we all have phones with cameras. And if you are just the kind of person that is, for whatever reason, is going to snap at things, then you are participating in that and you are hopefully open to ideas about the more you do it, the more you care about how it is framed and trying to maybe use the features on your camera to make the, I haven't gotten to that point, but it just seems there's similar ways of just becoming more enthusiastic and more engaged with any pop culture activities such that I just don't see a sharp distinction between the fine arts and fanfic. (laughs) The fact that we have Brian, you had taught me that one of the most, it was started out as Twilight fanfic and became 50 Shades of Grey. 50 Shades of Grey, right? This is how we learn arts at all is we are fans and we just want to participate in something. And maybe as a musician, that's clear to me that, you know, as a rock musician, that is a very clear model for me. Whereas if as Erica, maybe this is more, you're, you know, coming from more of a conservatory sort of background where don't confuse me and my professionalism and how hard I have worked at my, all my auditions with some, uh, I'm doing something that is fundamentally different than just somebody who likes to sing. Well, I'm glad you answered, Mark, because I couldn't have done it without shit-talking Wes. So that was, <laughs> of course I knew your answer. Probably should exclude that from our recording. I think uh, that is great to include. Okay. Hey there, Wes. You're the best. And... I mean, we talked about this, I think, way back in episode one on our, our highbrow versus lowbrow, which I know are horrible terms, and right, the difference between a violin and a fiddle, right, was the difference between high culture and low culture, because it's the same piece of wood, right? And I definitely have walked away from the first hundred episodes being more open to how I conceptualize something as being sort of for the masses or for really specific rarefied audiences. Because having tried so many things I don't normally consume, it's just a question of finding that point of entry 
getting that familiarity, learning context, seeing how it does relate to things you already know and learning how to appreciate it. Sometimes you can and sometimes you can't, but that's personal preference. But there are certainly, if anything, has at least some artistic merit or some level of enjoyment to be gained from it. I don't think there is any barrier that you can't get over in order to consume it and to maybe become a fan of it. Yes, and I should emphasize the barriers in becoming a fan of something rather than the barriers in being a practitioner. Because, of course, there really are serious professional reasons that keep the average person from just attaining a level of excellence at any given, at most given arts. Maybe with rock and roll, you can fake it and play a concert once a year and think you're just as great as anybody that's ever played. The idea of a one-hit wonder has been around for a while, but we are, in, I think, in a different time now with the internet where really anybody can be famous for a week. And we hit on some of that too. And I mean, obviously there's something different I know than a practitioner and somebody who can catch lightning in a bottle. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with people who catch lightning in a bottle either. So even though I came from a background of you do this and this is your craft and you work at it your whole life, and that is very much part of my personal life, I've also had so much fun, maybe more fun... making fun covers of other people's music and gotten way more positive responses from that than something that I thought was super creative that I wanted people to pay attention to. You know, you have like 30 people respond to that thing and then you have thousands of people respond to something that's just a knockoff of somebody else's work. But I had fun doing that other person's work, you know? So there's no shitting on that. Well, and do you think that the line between someone else's work and your work is a lot thinner than people give credit to. Again, this is kind of comes as a rock and roll songwriter. I'm just very <laughs> sensitive to how derivative every rock song is only from so many something else, from probably a lot of other things. And what makes it sort of distinctly you is in the details. And the details could be the way that you phrase something in this original lyric that you've put over these chords that have been played a million times by other people. Or it could be that you're in a musical theater setting, doing entirely something that has, it's a cover. I'm doing a song from a musical, but yet you're such an artist with your voice that that's where the idiosyncrasies and making, becoming yours comes in. So this snobbery between I only play covers and I'm an original songwriter or something, I also think is, again, unless you are a songwriter of the old school variety and like write out scores with your hands, you know, our Mozart, and have a lot of technical skills, then that's a thing that kind of blinds me to like, okay, well, that's a fundamentally different thing. But Mark, Mozart wasn't inventing things from scratch either, right? There were Mm -hmm. forms he was following and conventions, and we're all standing on the shoulders of giants whenever we're doing anything worthwhile. Whether you're a Mozart or a Lindsenmeyer, I'm sorry, a Lint. Sorry, my bad. Well, and a lot of these skills, like, you know, if I was alive at that time, writing scores would be something that I would have had to be comfortable with. It is something that I did a little in music school and fooled around with, but because there was no professional need for that. In fact, I've even interviewed people on my music podcast, like this one guy, Jarek Bischoff, who writes pretty much just string things, but I very much was entirely DIY about it. And was just like, was a player of stringed instruments and did it just like somebody putting together a bunch of guitar parts. It just, instead of doing that, let's sort of by trial and error, get a violin player in here and kind of build from that. So like even that, even the things that 
personally might seem giant barriers in skill. Well, that's partly because that skill has gone out of fashion. And what do you think about that, Erica, from the opera perspective? That was our first fine arts one where we definitely established that from the audience's perspective, like that used to be pop culture. And it's sort of just the whims of historical progression that it's not anymore. And to some degree, actually, it is. It's just like it's a cult thing. But we didn't really talk about that from the creator perspective. Do you find like, oh, no, that's again, that's just a matter of if you were a singer 100 years ago, this is what you would have been doing. You wouldn't have been singing around the campfire and developing your original repertoire, you would have been developing this opera voice, which probably most people could do to some degree of, you know, if you have good intonation, some degree of effectiveness, you know, with a with a 10 years of dedication. I think both of them were happening. Sure. People were sitting around the campfire or, or doing songs, creating songs about balladeers right through the, the ages. I was watching an interview last night with a singer who I really admire, who sounds like a classical singer. And then I found out the singer never trained as a classical singer and never actually learned to read music. And I found myself immediately like stunned. And then I was like, well, of course, though, that's the story of so many people. Some people like to create barriers of entry and say, if you can't do this skill, then you can't do the whole thing. And I do hate that. On the other hand, I understand the frustration of dedicating your life to something and then somebody coming in and just trying to like pick it up and sometimes being able to and that gets really frustrating. Damn, this was the gatekeeper episode we never had. And that was, in my mind, always about gatekeeping and fandom. But this is on the other side of it being a gatekeeper on the creator side. Super interesting. But Brian, what you said about Mozart is true. And my husband, who is a composer, is very fond of saying, with 12 notes, how hard can it be? Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't, you know, he has not worked very hard at being a composer and is not very talented. But his point is, there are only so many rules that you can follow. There are only so many systems you can follow. And sure, you can create new systems, but there are certain systems in place. And if you can memorize those, to, then to a certain extent, you can compose. If you can manipulate your voice in a certain way, especially if you've grown up listening to people who sound a particular way, you're just going to sound like that. It's not going to be something that you have to train for your whole life because you are training without realizing that you're training. Let me connect this back up. So we probably addressed this question in some way before. Am I being so consumed about this because I have an attitude where for me to really enjoy something, I have to, you know, as a creator of one type, I feel like I have to empathize with the creators of the other type. And so even though I've never directed a film in my life, I've learned enough about it to be like, eh, I could do that. And then I feel like I could get involved and like make decisions, make judgments about, you know, how effectively this has been done or, or about comedy, even though there's so many things, especially in sports or whatever. I guess that's a barrier for me because I feel like sports is so removed from what I could possibly do that I can go, wow, that's amazing that a human being can do that. But I'm not going to get super excited about it because I don't have that imagined creator connection. And I just wonder if this is just idiosyncratic to me and other people maybe who consider themselves creators on some level. And that actually maybe it is, on the other hand, part of the necessary illusion of entertainment that we be astounded by the talent of the people that we read, that most of us actually don't want to just listen to punk rock with no discernible talent behind us. And in fact, we we're now entering an era where that kind of stuff is actually seen as an artifact of privilege, right? You could get away with producing mediocre music, mediocre this, 
self-referential, ha-ha, aren't we all equally untalented stuff only because these are a bunch of overprivileged white males who don't have anything to prove. And once you shift the social paradigm so that everybody's actually really competing for attention, then we go back more to a model where any entertainer you are into that has gained a mass following is going to be someone that will just wow you on every level. Eric Merck's going to be fine without us. He just did the whole point and counterpoint. Man, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're psychotic, Mark, when it comes to, or sure, idiosyncratic. We'll go with that. That was way better a term. Regarding feeling like you need to be able to create something yourself to enjoy it, I find the exact opposite is true with me. I find it, if I feel like it's something that's in my wheelhouse, I really don't want to consume it in quite the same way. And I do want to be, I, I agree, I want to be wowed by someone doing something that I can't make and I can't do it. And it's just wonderful that someone else can. It's um, one of the reasons I read hardly any science fiction anymore is because I just don't want to be in the headspace of consuming something I'm making or I don't want to do anything too close to what I think I'm doing. Are you afraid to steal on accident? No, I'm not. I just kind of don't want to be working and playing in the same neighborhood. For whatever reason, I have no particular concerns about that. I often feel like that as well. I like things that are related to what I do more than consuming the thing that I do. I do think, though, Mark, you have to be, you, we have to be careful with the idea of transferable skills. So just because I am good at this one thing must mean that I'm good at something else that is somewhat related. And I think there is a certain amount of respect that's important to give to people when we don't do that thing and they're really good at it. It doesn't mean that we can't do it and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be able to play to jam with those people, right? But it's an analogy and it's like a true story as well. When I go into a jam session, I've been into jam sessions where people totally walk in and take over and it's not their jam session, but they make it theirs and everybody gets annoyed and they want to walk away. But if you go into a jam session and you try to be actually a part of the group and learn from other people, that's when it can be the most enjoyable. That's when they invite you to play something of your own rather than you being the one that's taking over. And I'm not saying that you're doing that. I'm just saying like, in general, I think one of my frustrations with people, and you might want to call it gatekeeping, but I want people to come in and listen and pay attention and try to learn something before they are like, yeah, I can do that. I'm the same. I really feel you on this, Erica. And the way I view it is also being able to do something and actually doing it are two different things. Stephen King always talks about how a lot of people have talent and that's actually not very hard, but it's putting in the work to get something done. And that's the tough part. So you're right, Mark, maybe it's something you could do, but like, come talk to me when you've done it and you've done it successfully. I'm not picking on you, but I just, it's sort of this mentality. And it's something that I think when people are very critical of other things, it's really easy to point out things that didn't work or things you didn't like, but it's like, okay, you go do it. And that's not the point of pop culture is to invite someone to say, well, this is the best story I can tell. And if you don't like it, you go make a movie that's better because that's not how the world works. But it's really easy to slouch into this consumer mindset. And, you know, if nothing else, I I feel like I've always tried to give things a fair shot as we've we've talked about them, even stuff I really thought I didn't like. It's like, well, you know, I've maybe I looked at the wrong things or some other barrier, but well, we're talking about it. Let's go give it a try with an open mind. And sometimes I walked away with a different viewpoint and sometimes I didn't. 
So this week was, it was a very busy, tough week. And I was trying to learn a new skill, one that I had dabbled with before, but wasn't very good at. And I really wanted to give up. And my father said to me, you sound just like the kids that I used to teach who were really had a lot of potential, but because they weren't as good as they wanted to be immediately, they just gave up and then they never did anything. And it like hit me in my heart. So like, there's the other side of it is sometimes I get so judgmental about myself in that vein that I don't even want to try. So I appreciate people who have that attitude of, I think I could do that. But then they also stick with it. Was it making a pinch pot? It was playing the guitar and it was really hard and my fingers really hurt still. (laughs) It's those damn bar chords. I tell you what, the hand was not made to do that. I'm still playing with whether course using the i could do that because that's like a prototypically like obnoxious thing <laughs> like when oh, somebody's, yeah. you're watching the olympics with somebody and they sit like that is just you've identified yourself as the biggest idiot <laughs> if you say that if i just you know trained for a bunch of years i could do that i'm equal <laughs> like the thing that i'm trying to explore here is is there something about that that is not pernicious that might be a necessary requisite to feeling that you are part of the activity, that you are participating in it as a fan. You are able to identify enough. And it doesn't necessarily go with being super judgmental. Like I'm certainly thinking, I've, we just rewatched Ted Lasso and I'm thinking about the fans in the bar that are completely follow their, their football team and are super judgmental about it, but also completely identify with it. You know, I don't think those people necessarily have a, they have reverence for the talent that they're identified with are exhibiting, but there's got to be something that lets you in, lets you really feel a part of it. And it could be exposure. I'm not sure what the key to it is, you know, why there are certain things like that. I'm just not going to feel that way about a football team, but yet something that is associated with a talent that either I've exhibited or tried, had an interest in, you know, that I never became an actor in any significant way. But because I messed around with that and I can put myself in the shoes, I feel like of the people, even when I'm like watching one of my daughter's high school plays, like, cause in fact, that's since I was actually in that sort of situation and sort of like, how would you do that line reading? I don't know. For me, that is a part of being a fan of something. And it's not being super judgmental about it. It's not being because I feel like I'm on the inside, I can say you did it wrong. But it's more like feeling a part of that family. So there's some stakes. I don't know if that helps. That made me sound like less of an asshole. (laughs) That was definitely part of the point. No, I'm not trying to make you sound like an asshole because there is a beauty in, in being like, I think I could do that. So let's like try to do that. Or not even try to do that. But like, is there some sense of that? It seems like neither of you... (laughs) have this sense at all that lets you connect with it on a taste level. Do you enjoy, you know, Brian is somebody who's passionate about science fiction enough to write it. Do you feel like your involvement with, maybe not your being the most avid consumer of for obvious reasons, certainly you've been much more excited to talk about sci-fi related topics. They animate you in a way and you feel like there are stakes and you can have strong opinions in a way that you don't if we're talking about something totally unrelated to that. That's true, but it also, it's a two-edged sword because I feel like I end up probably enjoying it less. And we watched The Tomorrow War. And it's hard not to just see, like, I'm not going to pick on a a movie, but there are, like, just storytelling mistakes that are being made that I feel like, or just, I don't want to be in that headspace. Like, I just want to watch the damn movie sometimes. So, I mean, yeah, I have opinions, but just because 
I have things to say doesn't mean I always need to be saying them. I realize this is a podcast and that flies in the face of our purpose of jawing into a microphone. I, I will say, so let's talk about the opposite is I'm a really big fan of baseball and I had no skill at all in it. And unlike even the Ted Lasso people you're talking about, Mark, they all think they could be a better coach. manager or coach yeah. than Ted Lasso is. I don't feel like I could make a better decision than even the coach of, of the teams that I'm cheering for. I just I love the activity and the competition and my fandom and the people in my life with whom I've shared it. I mean, it's sort of this pure thing that I don't have to have any. I don't have to sit there and I feel someone else who maybe played in high school and felt like if their coach hadn't put them in with a cold arm, they would have become a baseball player or if they had chosen a different career, they could have been an agent and they'd be a millionaire. I don't go in with any of that baggage. I only go in as a fan and a consumer and I have my highs and my lows as just that, as someone who will never be more than a kind of on that side of the street. I think that maybe what I was trying to relate this back in my mind to pop culture and what we're actually talking about. People have lots of opinions about pop culture because it is close enough to other things that we do in the world that we can have an opinion about it. Or it's not close enough to maybe what we actually do, but we see so much of it that now we have opinions of it. And that's a good thing because it keeps pop culture in check. It hopefully creates better pop culture, but it definitely doesn't make us experts. It makes us maybe expert consumers, but not expert creators. It's an interesting contrast between, you know, the fact that you eat a certain kind of food a lot, and maybe you're even a connoisseur of that, probably doesn't mean you know a goddamn thing about how it's created and do not feel any sort of superiority about its production. Maybe in cooking, maybe in actually putting ingredients together, but in like this milk that I received from somewhere. It's certainly a very different experience. But probably not even in cooking. You think about people who are like big fans of ice cream. They're probably not at home on the weekends making their own ice cream as well. And if they do, it's a very different experience than going and getting it somewhere else. And yet the amount of oxygen wasted on people arguing about which type of pizza is better than what other type of pizza. I mean, it's there too, Mark. And then it becomes like the guacamole cook-off of, or I guess you don't cook guacamole, but it's pick an example and we'll find a way to show why people are stupid about it. I really like that distinction that you drew, Erica, about being expert consumers. I think that that really resonates with me. And you said early on in this podcast how we talk about pop culture a lot. And I think it's because it's the thing that's closest to us that we really can talk about with anybody. There are things that are more on my mind or are more in my daily psyche, but I can't talk about them to people who didn't share that experience with me. They weren't there for it. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they saw mm -hmm. the same TV show as me or listened to the same music. And so we have a shared experience. It's the thing that provides this shared experience that I can get together with a group of people and we haven't seen each other for a month, but we've all seen X, Y, or Z and can talk about that thing. They weren't at my house and I wasn't at their house while some other personal thing was going on. And that would have been weird. And maybe we didn't want to talk about something that's too deep or personal either, but it's also a very safe thing that can be talked about. So I think it will continue to be whatever pop culture is or turns into will be that thing that you know, sometimes it's what the conversation devolves into. And it's maybe not even all that interesting, but at least it's something that everybody can participate in, except those horrible friends of yours who claim not to have a TV. I what know, right? <laughs> Go home. And I think, Brian, you've just given a functional definition of what pop culture is, that it's not TV and movies. It is 
whatever it is that is the shared experience that is the thing that we then go talk about. And so that's why it can be politics very often fills that. So I, I would divide politics discussions in pop culture discussions of politics and like a news program where you learn about what's actually going on in Rwanda. Like until that becomes the thing that everybody's talking about, it's not part of pop culture. It is an esoteric fact about the world. And so the same thing, like you can get very into science and learning the cutting edge or into philosophy or learning, you know, esoteric knowledge in this area. But once it becomes part of the thing that people turn to and discuss, then it is pop culture. So insofar as philosophy is religion, for instance. <laughs> when we finally got pictures of Pluto and people were tweeting about Pluto and every, there were memes about Pluto, suddenly Pluto was pop culture again. And it was when it got demoted from being a planet to a dwarf planet. But most of the time, astronomy is just science. Sorry, astronomy. <laughs> yes, unless you then, as I sometimes do, to extend this, say, oh, well, it's a cult. It's a cult within pop culture. Pop culture is just made up of a lot of individual cults. And in fact, the amount of things that we all actually share because we don't have three networks serving stuff up to us or, you know, a couple publications that everybody reads, then we're just, you know, this fragmented bunch of cults. So talking about science enthusiasts <laughs> is itself, even though it's not something that is mass discussed, the very fact of its inaccessibility beyond your group that you, you know, might go on your astronomy, I want to say listserv, but that's not, <laughs> that's not what people use anymore. Your various forums and Facebook groups or whatever enthusiastic, like we've created subcultures, even for these things that unless it is truly you as a private genius doing this stuff on your own, you're sharing it with other people. And some of them are having a fan-like relationship to it. Even if they're practitioners with one hand, they might be fans with the other hand. So this is a mighty big shoehorn I've got. <laughs> well, you've demonstrated that already, Mark. <laughs> Would you like to see my shoe hoard? <laughs> and so Erica quits the podcast oh, forever. Oh my goodness. The most disgusting. <laughs> well, let's say goodbye to the public here and we will talk to each other a little more for those private people who care enough. You know, if you care enough about this going forward, then maybe, uh, you know, sign up for a, a buck a month or something. What, what the hell oh, come on, ask is him keeping for a you from doing that? Why not? Yes. In fact, I've had, uh, so I'm doing some of these scoping calls with new potential participants. And so I've done two of them just this week that will probably already be up there for $3 donors and higher. And even the $1 people don't even get it, even though I feel bad about that because I love the $1 people, but you got to have something you got to, you got to, that sounds like a great deal, Mark. <laughs> All right. Consumers. I think we're, uh, we're proving some of the points made earlier here. Thank you, listeners. We should thank them, huh? Yes. Absolutely. All of our listeners. And I look forward to joining you in August. That'll be great. Yeah. Thank you, listeners. It's been a great two years, but one season somehow. Indeed. <laughs> the winter will never end. The season of COVID. All right. Bye. Bye. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 